Hi everyone, my name's Scott Palmbush and I'm the campus pastor at our Saratoga campus and I'm grateful to be able to offer the message for you today. I was in a Zoom call recently and someone asked me the question about the best concert I'd ever attended. My mind transported me to one of the many U2 concerts I've attended and it was over at the Oakland Arena. I remember joining in with the other 20,000 people in attendance who knew every song just like I did. I remembered the moment when we heard the first notes of the streets have no name. Everybody went crazy. You could feel the energy in your body. We sang at the top of our lungs. It was a moment of togetherness I will never forget. For Christmas that year, I got a set of the DVDs of the concert. I think I've listened to them once or twice. While it reminded me of the experience, it wasn't the same. There just wasn't, there was just something so powerful about all of us in that moment, in that arena, experiencing something together in the same place at the same time. It couldn't be recreated. One of the things I've missed in our shelter in place season is sports. Now, that's not gonna be a shock to anyone who knows me. And I need to say that I'm grateful that the NFL has been playing games and I watch the NBA games from the bubble in Florida. And I know college football is getting back on track, but these are all being played without fans. And no matter how much crowd noise they pump into the broadcast, it just isn't the same. Sports were meant to be played in front of crowds. And then I think of the church. Like all of us, I deeply miss the chance to get together in person. I miss getting to look out from the platform and see your smiling faces, uh, to feel the Spirit's presence in your heartfelt prayers, to watch you sing of God's promises with all your voices. I miss getting to pray with you after the service and share a cup of coffee on the patio. I know we try to recreate the experience on video and our, our team does an amazing job. And I also believe that God uses video technology in our lives, but if your heart's yearning for the chance to be together, I want you to know you're not alone. We're in a series right now in the book of Acts, and we're getting back to the, the basics and putting first things first. We're remembering what mattered most when the church got started. And one of the most basic things we can say about the church is that the church gathers. Again, one of the most basic things we say is that the church gathers. And that's what we're gonna talk about right now. Let me offer a little recap of where we are in Acts. Jesus has ascended into heaven, and there is, this is followed by the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes visibly and powerfully upon the disciples, giving them the power to do and say things that were beyond their natural ability. The Spirit moves in the crowds, and they respond to Peter's message in ways that were miraculous with thousands repenting and receiving Christ and being baptized. The powerful work of the Holy Spirit got started with prayer. And it's not the only thing that the church does, as we've said in the last few weeks, but it's one of the first things. And then this power of prayer and the Holy Spirit gets extended into this growing group of people who heard Peter's message. The Holy Spirit changed their hearts in visible ways. They loved with a power that was beyond them. And here's what it looked like from Acts chapter two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the scriptures that light our path. We thank you, God, for the way the Holy Spirit transforms us as we listen to your word. So our ears are open. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight right now, this day, this hour. Amen. I remember a story that I'd heard from the president of the seminary I attended. He was telling us about a recent trip he'd taken to the South, and he had gone into breakfast with a few of his friends. And since it was the South, they had grits on the menu. Now, he was trying to be a little playful, and he said to the waitress, what's a grit? And the waitress replied with all her Southern charm, oh, honey, they don't come by themselves. Christians don't come by themselves. We have a communal faith. Followers of Jesus gather together. Now, sometimes we forget this. We get focused on our individual experience. We think in terms of my church or my relationship with God or my pain, my life, my resources, my problems, my decisions, my success. It's bound into the very fabric of our American culture into our ideals and our heroes. Now, God cares about each person. You matter. Your life matters. Don't get me wrong. But while God cares about each and every one of us individually, from the beginning, God made promises, or covenants sometimes they're called, with a group. It started all the way back to the family of Abraham and his descendants. God has chosen to work through communities. After Jesus was resurrected, the Holy Spirit brought together a community of imperfect people, redeemed by God, bound to our Lord and to one another in the bond of love that we call the covenant of grace. As it says in Romans, for none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. What this means is that God gives himself to be our God and takes us to be his people. And in Christ, we are adopted into this family of God. We find our new identity as brothers and sisters of one another since we now share one father. So in some sense, we are family together. In Leviticus, God says, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. In Ephesians, the apostle Paul uses the analogy of the human body to describe our connection, saying that we are all members of one body. God's promises are for all of us, and we are bound to one another through the covenant of love and grace. And this bond, this love of our brothers and sisters means that we will seek what is best for them, we'll encourage them, we'll listen to them, we'll provide for them, counsel them, and if needed, even challenge them. This is what we see in Acts. This is 
what Jesus' followers are acting like when they act like a little family. They worship together. They learn together. They take care of one another. They sit around tables enjoying each other over meals. Is it any wonder that people looked upon this little community? And as Eugene Peterson translates that last verse, people in general liked what they saw. I spent a summer of my year out of my first year out of college at a summer camp called Yosemite Sierra Summer Camp. We had an amazing group of counselors who all loved Jesus and were committed to sharing the message with kids. We hiked in Yosemite, we backpacked in the Ansel Adams wilderness, we swam and water skied, put on skits and competitions. I found a best friend that summer, and I don't think I can remember a season when I laughed so hard and enjoyed life so thoroughly. It was like a meme of a mountaintop experience. I remember one of the camp uh, speakers that came up every session um, was preparing kids for the end of camp and going home. And he addressed this camp high that we were all experiencing. And he said this, what if, what if this, what we're experiencing here is the real world and the world down the mountain that you're going back to is the thing that's less real? Wow, what if we could live like that? What if we could experience encouragement and security and acceptance and hope and healing and intense joy all the time? Who doesn't want to be part of that community? Where is that church? I will go to that church. The truth is, I've been looking for that church since my camp experience. I mean, where are the politics? What about the hypocrites? What about those extra grace required people? What do they do with those? How do they choose the worship songs? What if the apostles' teaching wasn't up to, up to par? If we look ahead in Acts, it doesn't take long to see a different picture than we find at Camp Pentecost. Sin finds its way into the community. A couple decides to lie about their wealth and they pay the price. There's a debate about who can be included in this new community. Paul and Barnabas uh, separate and some of the house churches are ignoring the poor when they, take, when they take the Lord's Supper and celebrate it. This isn't exactly a rosy picture. So at this point, we have to talk about expectations and we have to remember why we gather together. To start, it might be helpful to know if you're a high bar person or a low bar person. Now, I consider myself a low bar person. This is mostly a pain avoidance strategy. I set my expectations low and then if and when they're extended, I get to be pleasantly surprised instead of crushingly disappointed. I'm not saying this is right, but it's the way I've learned to cope with the world. And as an aside, I would encourage you to employ the strategy as you evaluate the sermon today. Here's the deal. Our expectations of the gathered community have to include the fact that we're not perfect. Sin is part of the equation. If we don't factor that part in, we'll create a visionary ideal of the church and then demand that it be realized by God and by everyone else and even ourselves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls this a wish dream and it never works. We need a lower bar. We need to focus on what God has provided. Bonhoeffer says, even when sin and misunderstanding burden the communal life, is not the sinning brother or sister still a brother or sister with whom I too stand under the word of Christ? 
Will not their sin be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving love of God in Christ Jesus? God is at the center of community, not us. We gather because it's the way we follow Jesus, not because it's easy, not because it's convenient, not because we want to be fulfilled. We gather because that's how we follow our God. Christians don't come by themselves. The church gathers. Now, I also understand that gathering right now is hard. In fact, it seems a little cruel to talk about it and then say, guess what? We're not meeting in person until 2021, ha! But this isn't the first time God's people have faced constraints on gathering. In parts of the world, it's illegal for Christians to gather together at all. Even as Bonhoeffer wrote Life Together, he was leading an illegal seminary in Nazi Germany during World War II. Challenges can sometimes spur creativity. We live in an age when we can meet electronically, and what a gift that is. I have no doubt that the Apostle Paul would have used Zoom to stay connected to people if he had the option. I know it's not the same as in person. I know Zoom fatigue is real, but thanks be to God that we can meet together. And unlike Christians in some parts of the world, we don't need to worry about being arrested or worse. There's a verse in Hebrews that we're leaning into these days. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If gathering were easy, people would not be giving it up. This verse would not be in the Bible. So I know it's hard but it's what we do. And quite honestly, we need it. When we gather, what do we do? We, we spur one another on toward love and good things. We gather to encourage one another. Anyone need some encouragement? Anyone need some inspiration and motivation? I know I do. But wait, is that it? I thought we gathered together to sing some songs and hear a great sermon and maybe eat a donut. Our text says that this little Acts 2 community devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But it's interesting, it doesn't mention a specific apostle. It doesn't even call out Peter who preached that great sermon. Why not? Because the church isn't about any of them. It's not about a great preacher or amazing content or powerful songs. People didn't join that early disciple community because they loved Peter. People looked on this gathered group and how they were loving and caring for each other. And that's why they liked what they saw when they saw it. So the draw, the secret sauce, is the fabric of loving community that you create when you are gathered together in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The secret sauce is the fabric of loving community that you create when you are gathered together in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we get personal for a moment? I miss John Ortberg. His teaching impacted me personally, and he will always be part of the Menlo story. But I've been at this church a long time, and I want to tell you what is special about Menlo is you. 
your praying, loving, generous hearts coming together in the power of the Holy Spirit around this message of the gospel. So keep meeting in your life groups. Keep meeting with your Bible studies. Join the campus Facebook groups and watch the sermon together. Participate in campus Zoom gatherings. Do a socially distant gathering together outside with your, with your group. Be creative, but don't give up. And if you need help or info on any of those things or how to get into those groups, let us know. You can find them on our website as well. One of the things people do when they are gathered together is share a meal. And our passage in Acts says that the early disciples ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There was joy and celebration and thanksgiving. It was their practice as part of their communal life together. And we continue that practice. When we gather as followers of Jesus, we share a meal together, and it's called the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, which literally means thanksgiving. God is the host, and he invites us as his people to join around the table. At this table, we celebrate together what Jesus has done for us. We remember his death for our sins and his victory in the resurrection. We experience Christ's living presence through the bread and the cup, and we take hold of the promise of eternal life of the coming kingdom. So we come to the table trusting that by the power of the Holy Spirit, it becomes this little holy place where we meet with God, like those disciples who walked the road with the risen Lord, that as we break the bread, our eyes are opened to see God in and among us. Together, we remember those words from the Apostle Paul that are shared every time a community gathers around this table. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever we take the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I'm going to invite you to receive the Lord's Supper as a gathered community. If you're with other people as you watch this, take a piece of the bread and pass it to the others. And as a way of responding to Jesus' call to remember him, we say to each person, here is Christ's body given over for you, broken for you. And then... Take the cup and pass that around to all those who are with you. And as you pass the cup, you can say, this is Christ's blood shed for you. You can drink or dip whatever makes the most sense in your setting. Now, if you're alone as you receive this, I want to invite you to receive the bread and the cup. But as you do, bring to mind those people who are part of you, your faith community and pray for them. And then make a plan to call or text one of them when the service is over. So now I'm gonna offer a prayer for us and then you'll have a few minutes to share the bread and the cup together. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for your table. 
We thank you for this place where we can meet with you, where we can come together as a community and celebrate your life and give thanks for all that you have given to us. I pray now, God, that you would protect our community, would help us to have the energy um, to, to continue to gather. God, you would use this bread and this cup today to enliven our hearts, to fill us with hope. God, we are thankful that we have community that encourages us, that walks alongside us, and that we celebrate our life in you with together. Make this holy for your purpose right now. We pray this in the name of our risen and reigning Lord. Amen.